I wonder if someone came to your house, would they see a home filled with love? If they watched you at work, would they see you loving your coworkers and your customers or your students or your patients? If they went to your school, young people, would they see you loving your friends or your teachers, even your principal? If they watched you interact with your neighbors or the stores you go to, the restaurants you visit, would they see you loving those people? What love exactly am I talking about? In the English language, we only have the word love. It defines multiple kinds of relationships. I say that I love my wife, I love my siblings, I love my friends, I love my brothers and sisters in Christ. I love, we use that word a lot, but it's not the same kind of love. But the Greek language, which is what the New Testament is written in, the original manuscripts is written in Greek, the common Greek, they use three different words for love. How many of you knew that? There was three different words they used for love. When we get our English, when we read it in English, we only see the word love, but it's really, there's three different ones. The first one is philio. And it's the, the meaning is brotherly love. There's a city named after brotherly love, Philadelphia. That's where that comes from. Then there's the word eros, which is where we get the word erotic, and that's a romantic love that you would have for someone. And the word that shows up the most in the Bible in the New Testament is the word agape. It shows up 258 times. In the, Bible. in the New Testament alone, we have an agape feast once a year before Thanksgiving. It's a love feast, a time to show what love really is that we see in the Bible, and that is a selfless love. That's the definition of agape love, a selfless love, a bear one another's burdens kind of love. And that's the love that I'm talking about today, the agape love, a selfless love. It's the best kind of love. I will tell you, I've coached and played on many basketball teams, many over the years. And I've been on teams with selfish players and unselfish players. And when I'm on a team with selfish players, or I've coached players that have been very selfish, it's just not fun. It's just not fun. And you may have experienced this in your own life, maybe not in sports, maybe in uh, you know, in the army, in the Marines, in the, you know, um, in a band, any kind of, you know when someone is selfish, it's not fun. But when a team comes together, when a group comes together, and everybody is for the team, it's a beautiful thing. We won a state championship with that kind of team. In fact, one of the best memories of that year was not raising the trophy, saying we're the best in the state of Michigan. It was this one time in a game in the playoffs, one of our girls, our starting forward, went down with a season-ending knee injury, tore ACL. And what we witnessed, me and the other coach, and we still get choked up about it, is all four girls on the floor carried her off to the bench. And that was, the, that, was that team, totally selfless love. Agape love. Have you experienced this kind of love in relationships? In your relationships? 
Because it's the love that you really want in every relationship. Whether it's your marriage, or your family, or your friendships, especially in the church. You want agape love. It's the same love that Jesus commanded us to have for one another. Yeah, he commanded it. He didn't say this is an option for you, church. He said this is a commandment. In fact, the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the scribes, they were curious as to which commandment Jesus would rank as the highest. That's how their thinking went. They ranked the law, the commandments. And they asked them, which one, Jesus, is the most important? And this is the interesting response Jesus gave. It's in Matthew 22. It's at the end of his ministry, and he said this. In Matthew 22, verse 37, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. By the way, that's the first commandment of the Big Ten. Right? And then he said, the second is like it. And this is an interesting one because it's not in the Ten Commandments. It's, it's a rather obscure command in Leviticus. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And he said, on these two commandments depend the entire law and the prophets. The Jewish people understand there's 613 commandments to obey. And Jesus summed them all up with one word, love. Love. And then, when he sat down with his disciples, after that last supper, and he went out into the darkness, and he was heading towards the Garden of Gethsemane, he had this long conversation with them. It's recorded in John chapters 14 and 15, 16, and 17. And in that conversation, he taught his disciples very personal time, like his, his kind of like words on a deathbed type of conversation. When someone's dying and you're listening to what they say, it's you're listening to what they're saying. And Jesus here says in John 13, verse 34, a new commandment I give to you. What an interesting way to say it. A new commandment I give to you. And he says, you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. By this, all people will know you are my disciples, my followers, if you have love for one another. And then he said some other things, talking about the Holy Spirit. And then he came back to this. Again, John 15, verses 12 through 14. This is my commandment. You love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command you. Love one another. Maybe the most important three words Jesus said in his whole time on this earth. So why did he call it a new commandment? It's not new. Not new at all to love. It's still love. That's, that's not what's new. Let me give you an example to help you understand why he called it a new commandment. Parents, you have... Um, been asked many times by your kids for something. Kids ask for something, because it's what they do, right? They need, they need something from you. And sometimes when they ask, you say no. And what happens when you say no? You often get a whiny little voice that says, but why? Why? And you say 
because I said so. Am I right? Come on, parents, admit it. We all said it. Because I said so, that's why. But that never really satisfies a child. They keep pressing, why? Why can't I have it? Because I said so and you better quit crying or I'm going to give you something to cry about. Probably not the best parenting strategy, I understand. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But sometimes we're just too tired to explain why. Am I right, parents? You know this? Here's the thing. Jesus didn't say, love one another because I said so. He said, love one another because I showed you. I showed you how to do it. And that's what makes it new. He demonstrated it for us. In fact, Paul, the Apostle Paul, really sums it up beautifully in Romans 5, 8. 5, 8, 9, and 10. He says this. Actually, 5, 6, 7, 8. For a while, you've got to understand this. This is Paul talking about us as people. For a while, we were still weak. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's us. Ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps... For a good person, one would dare to die. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the love. Selfless love to the fullest. It's unconditional. There there was no condition. There was nothing we do or did that would prompt Jesus to die for us. Nothing. It's totally unconditional. Dying for someone, even though they're responsible for your death, that's unconditional. Can you imagine if you stole someone's money? I'm not saying you should do that, but I'm saying if you did steal someone's money, and then they pulled a gun on you, and I stepped in front of you, and I took the bullet, and I died for you. Can you imagine that? Me neither, but... And you're good people. But Jesus took the bullet for us sinners. That's agape love. That's unconditional and sacrificial love. And that's what makes it a new commandment. That's why he called it that. It's based on his love for us. He showed us how to love one another. Lay down your life for your friends. Be selfless. Have you read Philippians 2 lately? Part of your homework. Go home and read Philippians 2. It talks about Jesus' sacrificial love. How he emptied himself. How he humbled himself to serve you. And here's what I know. The more that you meditate on the love of Jesus as you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the more you understand the life of Jesus the more you understand agape love and the more likely you are to love others that way. It's when you fix your eyes on the author and the perfecter of your faith that you learn to love one another the way that you should in every relationship. In every relationship. Our focus this month is kind of on the Married couples or those that are thinking about marriage in a serious relationship, um, next Saturday we have an event 
here, and it's going to be an awesome event. So excited. We have over 30 couples registered, and um, we have a fantastic speaker. We're going to learn stuff that could be life-changing, and I say, well, it should be life-changing because it's based on God's Word. When, when you take God's Word serious, when you, look, when you read the Bible and you say, this is God's Word, this is God speaking to me, and I talked all about that last week, why it is God's Word, to us, when you listen to God and you obey God, it, it's life-changing. It does change your life. And it's a good thing. Um, I want to help you do that with a simple exercise today that you can do that's going to improve any relationship that you're in. Now, I'll just back up for a second and tell you that um, one of the passages in the Bible that um, gets read a lot uh, at weddings is 1 Corinthians. Sometimes people call it the love chapter in the Bible. It's really not the love chapter, but there's lots of other passages you could go to like the ones that we're looking at here. But I'm using that because um, when, when, I, uh, do a, when I officiate a wedding, I, I want the couples that I sit down with, um, I want them to pick the scriptures, pick, pick the Bible verses that they want read at their wedding. Maybe you can recall. When you got married, did you pick out, did the pastor let you pick out the Bible verses? Because I do that. I encourage them to do that. Well, a lot of times it's 1 Corinthians you know, 13. That's the ones that... So, how many of you heard these words before? Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, it rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. How many of you have heard that before, read that before? I bet. There's a lot of us. What's interesting, I think, is that it's become this wedding poem, if you will, because it wasn't intended for a marriage. In fact, the Apostle Paul wrote it to the church in Corinth that was having some serious troubles in their own relationships with church people coming together. Because this church was extraordinary. They had amazing gifts that, that the Holy Spirit had given them, and they could speak in prophecy, they could uh, speak in tongues. They, they had all of these gifts. And, and um, the problem was, Paul said, is that you don't do any of it with love. You don't love each other. You got all these gifts, but you're not loving each other. And what, what's, what's a relationship without love? I mean, to me, it's like coffee without sweetener. You know, it's like bread without yeast. It's like air without oxygen. I mean, that's, that's how important love is, because love sweetens, it builds up, and it brings life into any relationship, doesn't it? Am I on track with this? you agree with me? Love is important. But here's the thing. Knowing love is important, that's not the issue. That's not the issue. It's applying the love that's the issue. It's loving each other. That we're, it's where we fall short. It's why they keep writing books like Men Are From Mars and Women Are From Venus and the five love languages, in love and respect, in love dare, in love for a lifetime, all of those which I have read. And you know what I've learned from all of those? I'm still not very good at it. (laughs) 
just because I know it doesn't mean I do it. Is there anybody else like me in that respect? Anybody else struggling with loving other people? Yeah, it's not easy. We're still learning. And you know, I I like to be practical with my preaching. I I don't want to preach a message that really, you know, is all theological and all, you know, in the Word. And there's sometimes, man, I'll go through 10, 15 different passages in the Bible, and, and I know that. But in the end, I'm always trying to give you something that's practical, that you can take with you and you can use and you can put this into your um, practice, and I want to help you love one another, because it's, it's something I should probably preach on every single Sunday, because Jesus said it's, this is important. Love one another. This is a commandment. You've got to love one another. So in the Bible, we see um, in 1 Corinthians 13 here, this little passage on love, and I'm going to use that in just a second, um, and, and that's really, ultimately, you, you want the Bible to be the most important book you read. I'm not saying don't go out and and pick up a copy of Love and Respect. I just finished that, and it's fantastic for marriage. I'm not saying don't don't buy those um, books out there, because there's some great books out there. But the Bible is the best-selling book in the planet. Over 100 million copies are bought and given away every single year. It's the number one book for a reason. And we're going to look at a little portion out of the best-selling book of all time to see how we can love one another better. You up for that, church? All right. So to make this effective for you, I need you to think about one relationship that maybe you're struggling with right now. Just just one person, one relationship. I just want you to focus on one relationship right now and have that person in your mind as we walk through the Word, as we walk through the Scripture. Maybe if you're not struggling, okay, maybe you have a relationship that, you know, just could be better, could be thriving. Focus on that person. If all of your relationships are amazing and awesome and thriving, well, then come up here and get the mic and I'll sit down and listen to you. But i got to say that I'm guessing we're all kind of in the same boat. It's always the comedian, isn't there? So you have to have a person in mind. Does everyone have a person in mind? Got someone in mind. A relationship could be better. Okay, you want to work on it. All right, so here's the deal. Let's walk through 1 Corinthians 13. First, um, when you read God's word and you read this, you see it says love is patient. So you ask yourself this question, which I'll put up on the screen here. John will put it up there. It's, am I being patient? So that's the question that you ask yourself. Am I being patient with him? Like you, or am I being patient with her? Think about that person. It's got to be personal. Make it personal. You've got that person in your mind. Am I being patient? Now, if you just said, and you thought about it for about five seconds and said, yeah, I'm being patient. All right, well, my follow-up is, not right now, but later on, get a pen and paper, and you better list down the ways you're being patient. List the ways you're being patient, because if you can't list any ways, guess what? The answer is no, you're not being patient. If you can't come up with any ways you're being patient, you're not being patient. So list the ways. And if you find out, oh my gosh, this is a problem. 
I'm not being patient. I'm not loving them because I'm not being patient. Here's what you do. You pray. You pray. You go to the Lord first. God, forgive me. I'm not being patient. I don't want to make excuses. Help me do this. Give me the opportunity to be patient again. And sometimes, sometimes, God tells you to, to go to them and ask for forgiveness. But start, start with God. Because I've learned that over the years, God loves to give do-overs. <laughs> Have you ever figured that out yet about God? If you mess up something in your life, God loves to give you a do-over. He loves it. I mean, I, I remember, um, and don't you love do-overs? I mean, I remember playing as a kid basketball in my, my driveway and, and uh, you know, coming up with a situation. Trombley's got the ball, three seconds, two, one. He shoots. And if I missed, do-over. Got something in my eye there. Do-over. And I would do it over until I made it. That's how God works with us. He's patient. He's the epitome of patience. And so, over and over. And then when you pray, and then you ask for forgiveness, um, and if you go to that person and you ask them, I mean, imagine what that person would do in your life if you went to them and said, I'm sorry. No excuses. I'm just sorry. I haven't been very patient with you. What that would do for the relationship, I don't know. That's between you and them. Then you move on and keep reading. Love is kind. And you just stop there and you ask yourself, kind, by the way, is the word that means generous. And you ask yourself, am I being generous with this person? Am I being generous? Am I giving them my undivided attention when we're together? Am I taking care of their needs? And if you think, yeah, guess what? List the ways to make sure. To make sure. If you can't list them, well, you're not being generous. So pray about it. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant. Am I being humble with her? Am I being humble with him? Is my pride getting in the way again? Am I admitting when I do something wrong? Do I sincerely apologize? Do I listen to understand? God, please help all men to listen to understand and not to find the solution. Guilty. Men, we always want to find the solution to their problems, don't we? They don't want a solution. They just want us to listen. We're going to talk all about that next Saturday. <laughs> I'm sure. Love is not rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. Am I being polite? Ask yourself that question. Am I being polite? Because nobody likes a rude person. Are my words full of sarcasm or full of kindness? Do I consider them before I make a decision? Am I showing them respect? And God, please help women show men respect, because that's what they long for. Love is not irritable or resentful. Am I forgiving them seven times seventy? You remember the conversation Jesus had with Peter. And the math doesn't add up our way, but basically Jesus was saying, you don't ever stop forgiving. Never. Am I keeping track 
of their wrongs to me? Am, am, I, am I getting, when we fight, hysterical and historical? Am I letting them know every time they messed up in the past? God, help me let go of the anger and the bitterness and the resentment. Because love isn't resentful. Love doesn't rejo- uh, does not rejoice at wrongdoing. It rejoices with truth. It bears all things and believes all things and hopes all things and endures all things. So then you read that and you say to, my, say to yourself, am I helping them overcome and succeed. Because in sports, people hope they miss the shot, the other team. In the corporate world, in, in the working world, people often hope the boss will fail because they don't like him. In, in society, you're taught step on the other person to get to where you want to go. But in God's word, love doesn't rejoice when someone falls or fails. It rejoices when someone succeeds. So love helps that person that you're in a relationship with endure, overcome, and be successful. Am I praying for them to be successful? And lastly, love never ends. And you read that and you say to yourself, am I never going to give up on this relationship? Or do I already have a foot out the door? Because we live in a throwaway society, don't we? We throw everything away. From plastic bags to unborn babies, we throw them away. And in God's word, we see that his love doesn't throw away relationships. He doesn't teach divorce as an option, and he doesn't say it should be a threat in a marriage. How would your relationship change if the other person knew for sure you weren't going to give up on them? You weren't going to abandon them? Because here it says, love never ends. What a difference that would make. Now, depending on the state of your relationship with that person that you've been thinking about as I've been cycling through these questions through the Word of God, and I didn't come up with these questions on my own. They came from the Word of God. And if you've been thinking about it, chances are this kind of exercise, if you went home and did it again kind of privately and prayerfully, you might get emotional. You might be emotional right now, depending on where your relationship's at. But one of the things that I know this does is it forces you to look in the mirror. We don't like to look in the mirror when we have imperfections, do we? When we have weaknesses. Because we prefer to blame the other person. But if you truly want to better relationship with someone, you got to start with yourself. you got to start by looking in the mirror. And when you do, I'll just give you a word of caution. Don't dwell on your weaknesses. Don't, don't beat yourself up. The devil wants you to do that. Don't, don't do that. Look, look for how Jesus has been showing up in you. you know, when you renew your mind with God's word, he transforms you and you start loving others unconditionally, sacrificially, selflessly, and that's important. Look for that. Look for the positives in yourself. But here's the biggest thing you've got to get through your thick skull, because mine's pretty thick too. If you will change, she will change. 
if you will change, he'll change. But we always want the other person to change first, don't we? Isn't that how we think? Well, it would just be so much easier if they would change. Things would be so much better if they would just change. You, you change. You love first. You love first and see what God will do in that relationship. And you might think, well, that's a nice sermon and all, Pastor. But my relationship is just too broken to be fixed. It would take a miracle to fix this relationship. Well, good news, God's in the miracle business, isn't he, church? He can do anything. Now, I, I plan to, to send out a few emails to kind of follow up with this, to encourage you, because change and renewing your mind, it's, it's a process, and, and I want to give you something to help you with that, to help you love one another. But I encourage you also, as you read the New Testament, I mean, I, I found a document um, from another pastor out there that um, he came up with almost 60 times that the writers, verses in the New Testament that talk about one another. We're, we're commanded to one another, one another. Love one another. You know, help one another. All kinds of ways that people are told to love one another. And it's because the church is not supposed to be about a building. It's not a place you go. Church isn't a place you go. It's not something you do on Sundays. Church is a community of believers. It's a congregation. It's, it's God's people coming together, loving one another. And I'm super thankful because our church has been almost in existence for 17 years. This June will be 17 years. And Life of Purpose has always been known from the very beginning as place where people, or, or a, a group of people that love one another. Genuine people. It's the one compliment that I get time and time again about you all, all right? Oh, I'm sorry, I'm not from the South. Y'all, <laughs> genuine people loving one another. People come, they visit, they say, yeah, man, it's just real people, nice people, caring about one another. And that's a credit to you because you're honoring Jesus' command to love one another. We built this church on love, and that's what it's supposed to be built on. And you know, if you've been out and if you visited other churches, you know some of them get it wrong. They build, there's churches out there that build their church on programs, on programs or buildings. You know, they have this awesome kids program, they have this cool band and there's smoke and there's it's a concert and um, they have super cool fun events and they exist to have fun and well when you build a church like that on that what happens when the next church next to you builds a better building has a cooler band does more fun events than you or funner event whatever church has to be built on this command of Jesus to love one another and that's why we have this little saying here. We are here to help you get closer to God, understand the Bible, and love one another. You see it on our website. You see it in our program. You hear us say it often. Because that little saying summarizes what Jesus wants you to do and what wants you to be all about. He wants you to have a great relationship with God. Remember, this kind of relationship, the horizontal relationships with other people, 
Sometimes they get messed up. We're people. We get, he understands that. But you've got to get the vertical relationship first. Your relationship with God has to be first and foremost. When you get that right, then all this stuff falls into place. And he wants you to love one another. Love him, love one another. And what brings it all together is the Word of God. Understanding the Bible. That's why we're here, to help you get closer to God, to understand the Bible, and love one another. And you're doing a fantastic job. Keep it up. Keep it up. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for just one little passage in the, your holy word that helps us to see how we can practice loving each other. God, it's not easy. We can know about it, but we have to do it. And it starts with us. So God, help change us. Help us to, to look in the mirror, to look into your word, and to live for you and to honor you. Father, you, you're holy. And you've made us in your image and you want us to be holy like you. And you've, you've given us the most, the perfect example you've given us in your son Jesus. He showed us how to live a holy life. He showed us what love really is. And Father, may we just follow that. May we follow that example. May we prove we're disciples by our love for one another. A selfless love. In Jesus' name. And the church said nice and loud. Amen.